Cradleine Network. For two Americans trying to make sense of the UK's own galaxy's greatest comic, 2000 AD, one month of progs at a time. This episode, we're covering 2000 AD for May and June 1992, progs 784 to 787. This time, Friday spaces out, Cola Commandos get super, the games begin in Button Man, Joe Pineapples gets a new look, and Judge Dredd faces Judgment Day as a new mega epic begins. Oh, dear. Oh, baby. <laughs> oh, bow, bow. Chicka, chicka. Oh, no. All right. Um, if you want to read along, this is one of the comics we're covering today in Judge Dredd, the Complete Case Files 17, ABC Warriors, The Mech Files 2, Button Man Book 1, and Judge Dredd Magazine 329. All right, buddy. Oh, God, I cannot wait to talk about one half of Judge Dredd today. Hey, what? Hey, don't, 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 don't point out my uh, our time-hopping <laughs> adventures here, Fox. Come on, buddy. Listen, don't peek. Don't, don't worry about the man behind the curtain. Yeah, come on, be cool. And speaking of being cool, thrill one, Judge Dread. Be cool about blend safety. Be cool. <laughs> Oh, no. Script robot <laughs> Garth Ennis, art robot Simon Colby and Gina Hart, and Peter Doherty letting robot Tom Frame. So Simon Colby and Gina Hart, who's doing coloring, start us off here, Fox, as we continue from last episode with the evil Blender McCoy on the loose. <laughs> with his uh, with his uh, specialized blend tech blender. Yeah, yeah no. blended. And <laughs> you're blended. <laughs> yeah, don't breathe this. Um <laughs> Dread, oh, speaking of not breathing, this Dread sweat in various perps to get the info to the point that they clearly pooped their pants. And he just, like, another judge complains about it and says, you've got a breath mask, don't you? <laughs> At the Fitzenheimer Garden, um, Conap, whatever it is, big ma- uh, mega city mansion. John um, Janko Jingleheimer Schmidt. That's, that's my name, too. Yeah. Um, Dink, uh, young Dink Jowett and his girl Rosie prepare to leave for the day when suddenly Blender McCoy himself comes crashing in. Um, and I'm punching through your door? Yeah. Like, he's just ridiculously strong, but he still opts to use a blender. This Chef Boyardee meets Kool-Aid man meets Blender. He's got, like, a theme, you know? Yeah. Um, but so... <laughs> He takes oh. the three of them hostage and threatens to blend them and has one of his guards stop spread, start spreading frag mines all over the garden, which Dink objects to because, listen, he's like a horniculturalist. He doesn't want the feng shui of the garden to be ruined by frag mines, buddy. Oh, no, that would really screw things up. But let's lose one of our teeth because yeah, this man has knuckles of steel. Yeah, Blender McCoy responds with several punches to Dink's face, which loosens at least one. Tooth he does a backhand does fist with complete with uh, with kid going in the opposite direction of the fist hit. Yeah, good, good punch mechanics here. Oh, I got something. 
<laughs> Meanwhile, Dred's beating up some non-binary hairdressers, takes out a footsie. He's just kind of doing general Mega City One crime stuff, waiting for word I, on I McCoy. love the lady with the the eyes that have the springy eyes, eyeglasses. It's a good footsie look, absolutely. Yep. Um, back at the garden, Dink and Rosie know they'll eventually be killed, and the garden will be ruined, so they have to act. Um, to, to do so, Rosie knees one of the goons in the junk, and Dick and Dink runs, but not fast enough, buddy, as he gets cut down by gunfire before he can escape. Mm, what you say? <laughs> oh, Rosie only meant well. Well, of course she did. Real sad escape. Oh, wait, no, Fox. I guess Dink did manage to escape as his dying body goes over the garden wall on to, like, the Megway, where it falls right next to a passing Judge Perrier and uh, gives her the relevant info. <laughs> so, uh, you know, I prefer San Pellegrino, personally, but... Mm, judge, um... <laughs> Judge LaCroix. LaCroix. Yeah, exactly. Yes, yes, yes. It's like being in the same room as a judge, Fox. You know, just a hint. <laughs> oh, behave. Dredd gets this information as he's arresting yet another perp, and Blender's very close to killing these hostages. Dink gets loaded into a med wagon, but as he takes off, he oh, he sort of subconsciously almost opens the door and goes flying out. He's got to get those is- roses for Rosie. This kid just keeps falling out of stuff. Like, he just needs to stay in his little safe garden. Yeah. I mean, or at least, like, you know, could could have survived this, buddy, but you had to be weird. That's all I'm saying. Yeah. <laughs> um, so... Dreads on his way to the estate, but wants to take things quiet for once to try to save the hostages. The H-Wagon he's in goes in on whisper mode, and just as Blender and his goons realize that Dink's body is missing, Dread comes crashing through a window. It's pretty cool. He takes out a goon holding Rosie hostage with a right play shot the to the eyes. face. Yeah. God, like she's right there in front of him, but nope, doink. <laughs> Again, getting increasingly graphic as we see these heads coming off, you know? Yeah, no, um, there's gray matter and blood spewing out the back of his yeah. uh, muggy face. Definitely. One of the goons has, like, a heavy gun set up and Dread shoots an incendiary nah. around right down the barrel. Yeah, Ooh. no. <laughs> uh, we call that a critical strike in the industry. <laughs> call that call that docking, Fox, if you ask oh, me. Oh, no! No! Oh, oh, <laughs> <laughs> Moving on. Um, he That's so good. Blend, um, so Blender tries to take out Dredd, but Dredd just blows the top of his head off because, like, his helmet's stronger than a Blender, buddy. Come on. I, yeah, Come on! I, I feel like, you know, he calls him Meathead. I, mm. I really feel like if there was, like, this Chef Boyardee joke going through, that could have been, like... How many O's in this or, you know. Uh, even, I don't even know if they have Chef Boyardee in England. Like, who who makes your cheap canned pasta, England? I want to know. I Listen, I'll say this much. This takes oh. place in America. <laughs> All right. But Chef Boyardee is, is, <laughs> is a staple of freedom. God damn it. I, hey, listen, I agree. American success story. Absolutely. But um, I just, you know, Dread takes the lift. So sometimes they, they, we have these problems, you know. That's that's fair. 
Other judges come rushing in and cleanup begins. Eventually, while disarming all the frag mines, they find Dink's body. He somehow climbed back into the garden and died with a rose <laughs> in his hand. Dread, who we'll recall from last time, um, has interacted with Dink in the past, but barely remembers his name. I mean, to be fair, <laughs> it was it was in a special. So how are you how are you gonna remember that? That's like a fever dream for Dredd. Yeah, like, listen, it, I mean, there was this have- kid that, you know, but he's not the kid who wrote me the letter that made me feel things. Mm-hmm. He's the kid who wanted to be with a uh, street punk girl. Uh, yeah, I don't know. Yeah. I mean, specials have literally contained fever dreams <laughs> by Dredd for the record. You can't remember those semi canonical things, Fox. Come on. Um, anyway, um, that night, Rosie leaves a flower on a newly erected gravestone for Dink in the garden. He'll be in his magic place forever. This is the story. So <laughs> his, his magic place is six feet under then. Yeah, but in a, but per, with his body providing nourishment to fancy flowers and things like that, I guess. Sky burial. No, because then you feed birds and stuff. He's probably got one of those burials where they put you in like a decomposing like sack kind of thing and a bunch of mushrooms grow over you. Oh, that's pretty. I I also think that that's neat. I like I I'm in I'm into sky burial or tree eating my corpse for eternity. I think I saw that on like a Hannibal episode once or something. It was what, weird. The, the mushroom thing. Yeah, I feel. Well, I mean, I guess for decomposition. Yeah, makes a lot of sense. They eat all of you when you're done. Mm. Mm. Yeah. Mm. Well, speaking of making use of uh, of making strategic use of corpses, Fox, um, this is it Ugh. for our coverage of dreads. Um, th- this episode, uh, buddy. The rest of the of this episode and the next three episodes will be handing over dread coverage to our future selves as part of a podcast spanning crossover event. You must tune in in order to find out what happens to Judge Dread in the next canonical series. Judge thee not or judge thee lightly. Judgment Day, which is going to happen right now. 301 Judgment Day. Plot robots, John Wagner and Garth Ennis, script robot Garth Ennis, art robots, Peter Doherty, Dean Orns, um, and Dean Ornstrom, leg robot, Tom Frame. Hey. All right. It's 1992, and very much the era of the comic book crossover. This is the same year DC had four big crossover events, including the death and eventual rebirth of Superman. Marvel fought the Infinity War with eight smaller crossovers, including my own beloved Rise of the Midnight Sun. That had Ghost Rider. Anyway, it's a big deal thing. And now that the Judge Red magazine is switching to a fortnightly publication, it's time for 2000 AD and the magazine to team up. And that's also for Space Spitter 2000 and Big Meg 1 to team up. Worlds are colliding. (laughs) Beautiful. Podcasts will never be the same. Welcome, Eli and Fox, to the Judgment Zone. I hope you're ready for the end of the world. And born ready. zombies. Yeah. I'm I'm pro-zombie. I don't know how you feel about it, Eli. Not not my favorite of the apocalypses, but uh, Mm. definitely top five. Yeah. Oh, what is your top yeah. apocalypse? That's uh, a very important ooh. question. Yeah, well, I, yeah, I, definitely. I like uh, I'm uh, I like the robot uprising or um, a convergence where humanity just kind of reaches this pinnacle where we all kind of form together into one gelatinous entity that then just goes and then becomes God that then restarts the universe <laughs> from the beginning. 
awesome. I think I think that's more Evangelion, but still, it's I think it's <laughs> yeah. I think we, we Fox, you and I saw that in one series of Nemesis the Warlock as well, I believe, where they went far into the future and humanity had all turned into, oh, yeah, goo. into goo. Yeah. There were goo people, <laughs> one giant writhing soul mass. Yeah, and then Torquemada like used an oil derrick to like siphon off that goo and use it to get unlimited energy or whatever. It was a whole thing. <laughs> so many people. Fox, can't what's be your wrong. top apocalypse? I want to know. Oh, my top apocalypse. I feel like top uh, of the pox. Yeah, I feel like a star snuffing is really good. I know that we just kind of had that with um, uh, skiz. With but skiz, I, but yeah. I do. I do think a good old fashioned star star snuff because you don't know it's coming until a couple minutes later. Um, <laughs> oh, man, I'm trying to think. Eight minutes to be precise. Yeah. yeah. Oh, hey, there we go. <laughs> <laughs> that that are that are like I guess the moon crashing into the earth. That's a pretty rad rad way to go. I think stellarly. Ooh, that would be rad. <laughs> the tides would be really crazy leading up to that too. You could go surfing. Oh man, oh, think about live it, it up. Give us your <laughs> top pock, Conrad. Top of the pox. Oh man. I mean, I like the singularity. I think where all the robots take over and there's like. AI's doing stuff. That one's pretty fun. I feel like linked to that, like, gray goo, that's a pretty solid apocalypse where nanites turn everything into... More nanites. Nanite fluid, you know? <laughs> but honestly, honestly, the best apocalypse is going to be the one, of course, where our lizard man masters finally reveal themselves <laughs> and follow the guidance of the Georgia Guidestone brings, uh, Guidestones and bring the humans, human population out to 500 million, you know? Wow. Duh. <laughs> oh, man. Really, really at, pulling the Alex Jones card on us here. At last, the Illuminati will reveal themselves and kill most of us. You know, they'll make our micro, the microchips we've all had implanted, put, turn, hit the kill switch, you know. It's so obvious when you say it like that. I mean, that's. Yeah. That's a pretty Ooh, good secondary, Secondary good apocalypse is the kill shot, which is a massive solar flare mm, yeah. that just scorches the entire Earth. But <laughs> luckily, that was averted in 2012 thanks to the actions of uh, Desmond and the Assassins in the Assassin's Creed uh, uh, video game. So oh, don't worry about that wow. one, you guys. <laughs> okay, thank goodness. Yeah. I got a lot of these. <laughs> you, don't wanna, you don't want to go toe-to-toe with apocalypses with Conrad. Um <laughs> But so anyway, anyway, back to this Judgment Day, different, of course, than the Terminator 2 Judgment Day. Don't worry about that one. Um, but so this one crossover between the progs and the magazine. Basically, there's going to be it's two issues of the prog and then an issue of the Meg sort of crossing over, you know, continued story, all that stuff. This is something that definitely once the the magazine moved to fortnightly, this is very much a way to get to make people who weren't buying the mag start buying it. Basic, basically, <laughs> damn sales tactics. Um, good, good plan though. Yeah, definitely. I mean, j- j- um, it sort of coincides with the big reboot. I mean, even just a post. Um, Post new volume reboot in the magazine where there's all new stories, uh, Devil and Waugh, Soul Sisters, Armageddon, things like that. There's actually two apocalypse themed stories going on in the magazine right now between um, this one and Armageddon the Badman or whatever. Oh. You know, very dour or what stuff. Ooh, also like deadly undead source. Actually, <laughs> like magazine's got a heavy theme at the moment. Anyway. <laughs> oh, jeez. 
<laughs> but so um, we've got a bunch of different artists. All of it's re- all of it's written by Garth Ennis with some scripting by uh, John Wagner. And in Garth Ennis's style, as a big fan of Judge Dredd, there's a lot of like callbacks and things to previous stories in this one, which I think is also a big part of a crossover, especially of course with the um, introduction of a certain special guest star, which we'll get to soon. Um, there's a lot of stuff to keep place, but I have faith we'll get things down so it won't be a problem. And I think now it's finally time to get started with part one of Judgment Day in Prog 786. Oh, man. So Peter Doherty starts us out on art. They say a day will come when the dead tear down the gates of hell and make bloody war upon the living in the Battle of Armageddon. That day is today. Uh, Dredd stands in a field with a big gun as zombie arms rise out of the ground to get him as the spooky eyes of Sabat look on. Wall and floor and ceiling hands are always very upsetting to me. Yeah, <laughs> you don't want them coming. Yeah, it's, it's no fun when hands come out of things, definitely. <laughs> I get real spooked by it. <laughs> so we see... Um, so in a rocky cave with a sea of lava, a figure appears and, will told, and we're told that it will cause the death of three billion people. It wears a cloak made of faces and the figure's taloned hand shoots lightning at the earth, asking if the dead of earth want to play. Very HR geek. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, this face cloak. And I think we'll get more of that as, as, as we see more of this character as well. I'm glad you guys have a reference for it. I just thought it was gross. Uh, yeah, <laughs> just some creepy stuff. Right. You know, I don't know. <laughs> what you expect from a, from a necromancer kind of fella, I guess. Right. Um, two days later, at at the Yancey Station mining platform or outpost, Judges Dredd and Perrier are taking a bunch of judge cadets on their hot dog run, which is a final evaluation um, deep into the cursed earth. The station is mysteriously empty, and Dredd sends the cadets to search the place as the sun sets. Below the earth, that same figure is shooting lightning, preparing to make the world sit up and beg. Or maybe roll over and play dead. Rock and roll! The Ayatollah of rock and roll. Seriously, yeah, this guy, he's a jerk. Um, among the... Um, among the cadets for the hot dog run is our buddy uh, Cadet Giant, who we last saw during uh, Necropolis two years ago. You and me will remember that, Fox. Um, I think Eli, too. We saw him in the primer. Um, the cadets spread out when suddenly a shout cr- uh, um, is made. Cadet Crow is being ripped apart by what's clearly a zombie. Luckily, Dredd shoots and drops with the headshot. He knows what to do with zombies. There's many more behind it. He says to the cadets, you're starting in the deep end. Oh, man. Zombie attack. Dredd starts blasting these zombies, tells the others to do so, too. Underground, this wizard dude has summoned about a dozen walking corpses and various, like, armor and uniforms and stuff. Very kind of Asian-themed, I guess, a lot of samurai stuff. And starts cracking jokes at them. Though they're all, like, pretty fully dead. So when he kind of leans on one to tell his jokes, it kind of collapses into pieces and stuff like that. <laughs> Above proud, ground, if you will. Yeah, listen. You know, these corpses... At this point, not a good crowd. Later, <laughs> maybe a better crowd. <laughs> um, back above ground, the judges have fallen back to their bikes and set them to auto-fire headshots, which I love just because, you know, that's always a thing you got to learn in zombie movies or whatever. But they know that automatically because, right. again, they've dealt with The Walking Dead before, you know. Right. Not the first rodeo. 
Exactly. Never the first rodeo for the Justice Department. <laughs> the undead are dropping like flies, but there's many more around um, on their way around them. This, the bike scanners read at least a million corpses headed headed towards them, but their radios aren't powerful enough to reach Mega City One. Instead, Dread goes barreling back into the mining station, blasting zombies as he goes. There's a pretty funny thing where, like, um, one of the cadets says, "They'll kill him," and Perrier says, "That'll just make him mad. Let him go." <laughs> <laughs> Inside, um, uh. Sorry, on his way, Dredd sees a strange blue light coming out of the mine shaft in the station, and then he arrives at the comm station, blasting zombies, of course, as he enters the room, and he calls Mega City 1 for extraction. He says they're just south of Tulsa, which is like in Oklahoma, which makes me think they should just head to Texas City, but whatever, you know? What was that, Fox? You say something? Oh, no, no, I just said, yeah, it's well, and also they're not like super welcome there, aren't they? No, I mean, you know, the the relations between the megacities are always kind of like kind of strained, I think. Um, But like you got to feel like people be welcoming when they're zombies and you're not a zombie. (laughs) I mean, that's sort of I don't know that that's my feeling, at least like, you know, we got to put our petty differences aside when the undead start to rise, you know. Um, anyway, though, it seems like something's stopping H-Wagons from flying outside the bounds of the city. And thus, Dread Perrier and the cadets are on their own. And the zombies are also starting to attack Mega City 1. <laughs> outside, the cadets are in trouble. They're running out of ammo when suddenly the zombies just stop attacking and start walking east towards Mega City 1. The closest <laughs> All- possible destination. It seems so, I guess. All over the world, maybe this is a Tulsa that's just sort of in, an, in a not, it's a different Tulsa. It's like a, like the Ohio Tulsa or something <laughs> like that. It's possible. Um, all over the world, though, the dead are waking up, getting out of their graves and advancing on the mega cities. But in Hondo City, a, they have a different surprise in store. Planet Earth is about to enter hell and Johnny Alpha has just warped in. Ooh. It's so good. I'm glad to see him back. <laughs> Definitely. Yeah, Eli, I know you've only seen a little bit of Johnny Alpha over the years. I think mostly just in uh, the Star Lordathon and stuff. Right. But this mutant bounty hunter with magic do whatever you need him to do in the right situation <laughs> eyes <Yeah>. is <laughs> a big a big 2000 AD character and one who actually died in the progs not too not um too long ago, so it's very cool to see him back here. I assume he died in a vague way, where it's like, eh, he could, no, he'll be fine. No, oh. very definitely dead. Nah, yeah, <laughs> very no, definitely like dead. Got apart by some kind of flying demon hell spot. Okay, and turned into a, he got to see, and then skeletonized by magic. You usually oh, yeah, don't walk right. away from that. No, it was one of the ones where if you're going to come back from that, the explanation for how is going to be complicated. <laughs> Fair. And you got to wait like a long time to do it. You know, like I'm not saying Johnny Alpha won't never come back, but I'm saying that it happens at a point where I haven't read the comic. So I don't know how it happens. <laughs> so we're on to uh, – sorry. Oh, oh, I didn't know sorry. that. Spoilers. Oh, listen. Yeah. Well, listen. I don't know. He's <laughs> Like he's been on the cover of the comic since or whatever. but. Hopefully it's a spoiler that tantalizes is what I want to say. Yeah. <laughs> Plus it's it's like in the year 2000 like you I I, I have confidence you'll forget God, that I'll he's be coming dead back before then. Fox. Yeah, listen. <laughs> you know, I've I've 
I'm not too worried about telling you this because I've told you it before and you forgot it then as well. So it's, it's fine. <laughs> Nailed it. Living that memento life. Um, so we're in part three of the um, – and in the magazine, Dean Ornstrom takes over on art. Um, this is the day the Necromagus raised the dead and the lawman and the mutant fought side by side. Whoa. Yancey Station is silent as Dredd and Perrier order the cadets to get ready and mount up. They got a hard night of driving ahead. Meanwhile, in the year 2178, 64 years into the future, Johnny Alpha is in the still existing doghouse getting briefed on a mission. And we learn that this is uh, post-rage, so his sidekick Wolf Sternhammer has died. And we learn from Chief Superintendent Shrapnel of the Galactic Crime Commission that he's offering Johnny 10 million, uh, uh, 10 million space bucks to apprehend Sabat, a black magician from the Blessed Nebula, a.k.a. the Necromagus. <laughs> he's destroyed the planet Bathsheba and then escaped through time on Earth. So the job is to basically find him and kill him to avoid messing up the, uh, the timeline too much. Because obviously, if Earth gets destroyed, then they're all in trouble being future Earthlings. Yeah, I was a I was a little tripped up here because I was thinking to myself, should I remember this guy from that one time Johnny Alpha fought a necromage before? No, that was a that that, that was, was a whole corpse. different space wizard. Yeah. yeah, too many space wizards. Yeah, that was that was a space wizard. Johnny brought um a child corp a child be brought back to life, and then things went bad. Basically, <laughs> I forget who that was, but it was a different guy. Just Got for the it. record. I forgot to look it up. Oh, no. Um, Johnny pauses briefly about the job because he knows that going um, going back to 2114, the last time he was in that rough time area, he got beat up by Judge Dredd and he doesn't want to deal with that anyway. Or he, he doesn't want to deal with that again. But a job's a job. So he heads out. <laughs> he soon arrives in Hondo in 2114 and is immediately attacked by our old buddy, Judge Inspector Tataro Sadu who we last saw during the Armaid and Hondo story back in 1988. Hondo is basically Japan in uh, the world of Dread. Uh, Sadu attacks Alpha with a Tendo stick, this sort of like red hook kind of martial arty weapon that the judge, that the uh, Hondo City judges carry. Also a gun. It is a gun. Yeah, it's a, it does have a gun built into it. Can't stress it enough. Um, Alpha says he doesn't want to fight, but Sadu, Sadu says he's the same as Sabat. As Sabat. Or either yesterday and use magic to literally rip a bunch of judges' hearts out and stuff, oh, and then God. laughed and fled into the into the Radlands. I love how he ripped their hearts out because he just sort of did a, a hand move, and then all their t- hearts come flying out of their chests. It's a solid, solid magic stuff here. <laughs> I always wonder why they don't start with that move. You know, There's, I guess I guess in a way he is. That's- in this case, he did. Yeah, he just showed up, and that was it. I'm like, all right, hearts, <laughs> I'm out of here to the Redlands. <laughs> um, oh, I should say, while they're doing all this, um, Johnny's like pulled a gun, and Sadu put like the the gun part of his tendo stick under Johnny's chin, so they're in one of those like sort of clinch, like you know, Mexican standoff kind of things. <laughs> Estrantium Dog tries to explain that he's here to kill Sabat himself, but Sadu won't listen until he gets distracted by reports of these dang zombies coming out. Oh, jeez. It's everywhere. Next time in the Judgment Zone, hot dog, hot dog in hell and kill the world. And with that, let's return to your standard timeline broadcasts. Whoa. Thrill to... 
Cola Commandos. Yeah, uh, 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 hooray, uh, more, more of this, more of this. That's what we got in front of us. It's more, Conrad, no, it's more, Conrad, Mm -hmm. it's Cola Commandos. That's right. Now with, now with more, I hate it. (laughs) Script Robots, Steve Parkhouse, Art Robot, Anthony Williams, Letter Robot, Annie Parkhouse. What happens? What even, Just, like, what is the point of this? It's about soda, you know? Conrad, no, it's not. Yeah. I, I would actually say it's the least about soda ever. I think it's there's something more, I, commentary oh, on God. superheroes a bit, I guess. Oh, yeah, no, there's, do you think? Do you think they're commenting about superheroes during this? I'm also, really glad that we're the everyman with glasses who once thought about a monkey, but that doesn't come back up. Whatever comes back up in Cola Commandos. Let's read Cola Commandos, Conrad. Sorry, I'm very upset about this. I think there's a lot of I, stuff about consumerism this. as well. Like, Is there? <laughs> yes, I think so. God, oh, man. fucking okay. damn it. it. None of this matters. Cola Commandos, colon, none of this matters. Ugh. More like colon commandos, am I right? Oh. <laughs> okay. Because it's, it's poo-poo. Yeah. I get it. That's, that, was my, that was my joke, yes. <laughs> Hector Doldrum. Okay, cola research nerd has been stripped and fired from his job for nosing around where he shouldn't have. He falls through a chute onto the street where he swears revenge, but is instead snagged by a dude in a Why? passing armored personnel carrier as a Why? massive explosive explosion rocks the base of the OK Cola building. Why does that happen, Conrad? It's corporate terrorism, buddy, in the corporate No, suite. oh no, okay, I'm not worried about the okay, building blowing up. Why, Why is he snagged? Why why was he snagged? Do you just he, keep going, just keep talking cuz I'm just going to keep asking why. The in the corporate suite the OK Cola chairman enlists the help or enlists some help against these food terrorists an overweight superhero with a mustache, Captain something or other, they don't really say his full name here. Well, I mean he, if he was Cola, he's got the wrong letter. Why did he enlist the help of this man? He's got Please continue. A, he's got a vehicle called the Fatmobile and a skinny teenage sidekick that he doesn't like that much. But they're off to go fight these guys. Why have why? Please continue. <laughs> Across town, that APC ditches Hector in an alley, and they've let him borrow a uh, camouflage jacket. So he's not. Just why did in they his, do that? Why did they give him? Why did they give him this this jacket, which later has a MacGuffin in it? Anyway, mm. please continue. It's a weird part of town. It's quiet like a graveyard and sud- and including this corpse that he sees in a burnt out car. Hector stumbles around. Some of these corpses are still alive. Why? Runs- Why are they still alive? Please continue. That gets explained. He runs suddenly seeing a hover taxi and chases after it. The robo-cabbie picks up Hector and explains that these zombies are actually cloned workers with a five-year shelf life, sort of a Blade Runner thing. Okay, so actually I do have one thing to say here. Fuck the opening page of Cola Commandos in uh, 785. Please continue. And so once they're dead, they ditch the bodies on the street, you know? Why? Please continue. You know, because no, don't the, don't qualify so any of my even questions. Even the workers are disposable, buddy. Oh, God, anyway, just don't. Nothing Hector, I say matters. In the back of the cab, Hector passes out. He dreams of green Why? fields and waterfalls. He's tired with a blonde woman <laughs> riding a unicorn, but it turns out to just be an ad for Elven Queen shampoo. Why? Please continue. 
The robo-taxi driver yells at Hector because this cab's about to croak. It's gone obsolete. Uh, okay. So why? Please continue. Auto obsolescence. Back at the OK, back with the OK Cola <laughs> chairman. He's saying that Hector has teamed up with these so-called cola commandos who've been blowing yeah, okay, up. Okay, great. Blowing up drink dispensers and so forth. And he wants that dude with the blue skin and metal parts that we've seen a little bit to take Hector out. Invest- Who is this? Oh, it doesn't matter. Please continue. Wants him to instigate executive action against him. Uh, and he can be creative. Why not? So he's and he says that Hector's headed for the uh, city of abandoned cars. Why? Please continue. It looks like when cars go, like cars have timers for when they go obsolete, and when they do, they just automatically drive to a giant heap of old vehicles, and that's Why? what happens to this robo taxi. And then the robo driver's head pops off once they go crashing into it. Hector's but also, stuck. it's a war zone. Why? It's he's stuck in this wasteland when suddenly, um, oh sorry, he has a moment like uh, Keanu Reeves and Johnny Mnemonic, where he says that oh, like no. he wants his job, his credit card, Don't. and his trousers back. Please don't equivocate this to the I want that is room service. Oh, God. Not for, he's not worried about it for too long, though, because suddenly a fighter jet swoops in from overhead and strafes the wooden plank bridge he's standing on and starts to fall. Why? I don't know why there's a wooden plank no, bridge. No, no, no. Don't answer any of my questions. Hector runs I appreciate t- that you want to. <laughs> I love you because you want to. It doesn't deserve your brain power. <laughs> Fair. Hector runs in as a, as, as a, or Hector runs as a tank rolls in. He's in the middle of a war. What can he do? Wait a minute. He's got a grapple gun. Why? In his coat pocket. Why? He wasn't just happy to see you, Fox. He had a grapple gun in his pocket. <laughs> the superheroes are He's also gonna heading. He's going to shoot his line all over you. Mmm, ropes and ropes. Head oh, no, you're horrible. <laughs> where they see a co- bunch of cool junk warriors. Hector tries to grapple away, but ends up stalling Why? out and drops directly onto the hood of the superheroes' cars. He blocks okay. their view, so they do the thing where you sort of hit the brakes and he goes flying off the hood of the car. Um, <sighs> and then they go after H- Hector, the sidekick, punches and kicks him a couple times which i'm fine with hector pleads for his life and suddenly a figure appears on top of a big pile of junk we see um we got some narration here which is just sort of i i call it kind of john smith let like list of a list of apocalypse things i guess <laughs> like this is the john smith special um where they talk about like um the walking dead the living dead walk the streets <sighs> a crusade is raging the president's on his 14th can of cola before lunch which i don't know that seems normal and a blood red moon is rising as why this figure. why is this person backflips down the junk pile and jump kicks the sidekick right in the face why so we learned the superheroes names finally there's captain cholesterol and the low-fat kid and the martial arts <sighs> guy that just kicked the low-fat kid in the face is named kid Bye, karma man. too or many karma, kids whatever too many kids the like they'd be karma like karma lad like it should be the low fat lad and kid karma fox i'm just I mean, i'm a legion of superheroes you're fan. I like, putting I like way lads, too like, much thought into this matter you're right lad all that kind you're of right stuff. no you're right you're anyway, right the heroes argue over who should fight karma as a stray grenade lands into the why fat-mobile. why 
Warzone stuff. Low Fat tries to fight Karma as Cholesterol shouts out Kung Fu moves from a book for him to try, but the fight goes quite poorly. In the melee, Hector escapes. He runs through the war zone as narration boxes say, give more signs and portents and mention that everybody drinks OK Cola. They keep, um, oh, sorry. And then that pale guy rides into the area on a cool red motorcycle. <laughs> and we mentioned once again that there's a blood red moon rising. Um, Why? Karma has apparently beaten low fat up enough. And so he leaves and the two um, heroes head back to the fat mobile where there's still an unexploded grenade um, sitting in the passenger seat. They argue over who should deal with this grenade, but in the end, the low-fat kid has had enough of all this, so he just walks away, leaving the captain all alone. Why does any of this matter? Where is this going? I feel like it's... it's Conrad, this comic feels feels so eclectic. And normally I'd love that eclecticity if it were if it were in it's it's the thing that I if I don't understand at least a through line of what's going on or if there's not a wink and a nod that's just saying like, don't worry, none of this makes sense. But this is supposed to be Cola Commandos. Mm. Next I, time, Hunter's Moon. <laughs> what is this? What is this comic? I, I just I that's all I want to know. And I, I don't you shouldn't have to answer for that. It should be answering for itself. See, I feel uh, like I feel like these if questions... there are if there are Cola Commandos fans out there not trying to say that you shouldn't like a comic book. I am saying the fuck is this comic book? <laughs> oh, man, I think we are seeing why this comic was delayed for two, like set on the shelf for two years. Definitely. In terms of just what's going on with this thing. I just I I'd love to care about it, but I can't. It just makes me very upset. Oh, man. Uh, speaking of things that make me the opposite of upset other than uh, having to wait. I'm excited to hear your opinions about this. Thrill three ABC Warriors. ABC Warriors. We are fabulous and we are beautiful. Do you like this or the corduroy that I'm wearing? Script robot Pat Mills and Tony Skinner, art robot Kevin Walker, letting robot Steve Potter. I think you know where I'm going with this. Mmm, very excited. Cancer is yes, yes, yes. <laughs> <laughs> Chaos Mage Deathlock is doing some robo brain surgery on Joe Pineapples, but there's no time to worry about that because the Imperial Rottweilers have arrived. They can't just cauterize the tomb ship the warriors are in because the body of their beloved ancient oh emperor Zalin is aboard the Mumra ship. Mumra is inside and we can't just destroy no. Skull Castle. Exactly. Yeah. So instead they open fire with um, deuterium rounds, I want to say. Man, I sure wish we were ABC D warriors. Well, I loved the. I loved. <laughs> no, he says that. I know. Edward says it and it's like, it's so perfect. Definitely. So deuterium is like heavy water. It's used in like nuclear plants and stuff, Fox. Um, although I've actually heard it, I've heard that, I've heard the concept of deuterium rounds. I feel like that's actually a pretty common, like, <laughs> sci-fi, like, if you're playing a sci-fi, like a, sh like a shooting game or something. 
some and, point deuterium's coming up. Yeah, and you and it's a game where you can like upgrade the ammo that you have. Like you're gonna get there eventually. It's a key player in like that space marine rounds and the stuff. The fact that it's used in a nuclear plant doesn't bode well if it collides with you, I feel like. Well, I mean, it's like the not it's like what it's the water that they used to like I I, I as I understand it, and I'm definitely be wrong, I believe it's the water that they use to cool the fuel rods in a nuclear plant. And that's that's not good. Yeah. And it's definitely very they're definitely in this case really talking about it the way in real life we talk about like depleted uranium rounds for for bullets and stuff like that. Oh man. Oh, that's not that's double ungood. Mm. So these bullets they pierce and irradiate. <laughs> but surprisingly a, yeah but a stray shot hits the refrigerator that the bot stashed the body of emperor Zalin in and that body like you said Mumra, the ever living yeah starts mummying around wrapped in bandages and so forth it looks like the deuterium is too powerful for the warriors you'd think that the irradiated part would be covered by the A but no they wish they were ABCD as you said <laughs> they chop these warriors up and mech Quake's thinking of, you know, saying they should surrender, and Deathlock nah. says he's right. What? Uh, <laughs> Deathlock meets with the colonel of the Rottweilers with a white flag tied to his sword. They talk I for mean, a moment. We all knew where this was going. <laughs> and then Deathlock cuts the colonel's head off, just straight up. Hammerstein, like, uh, well, and then, and then books it. He just oh, runs, yeah. grabs the head, <laughs> runs away. Hammerstein, like, uh, beats me to the punch by mentioning that this is a dishonorable war crime. But Deathlock, <laughs> of course, says that this is a, it's a small price to pay for the sixth head for Hikate. I mean, and then writing to his students, he's like, Look, winning is winning, uh, whatever, yep. etc. Yeah, Victor, the uh, victors are always honorable, he says. But there's no so, point to celebrate. Eh, listen, I got, I got I got mixed feelings. No, there's um, there's some fucking there's some subtext there. Mm, yeah, well, again, you know, you know my feeling on subtext, Fox. <laughs> a lot of times it's just <laughs> um, the guy did a war crime and is feeling OK about it again. Deathlock is not a good person. Mm-mm. There's no time to celebrate, though, Fox, because the reanimated corpse of Emperor Zalin has retaken awesome. command of the of the awesome. They've got superior. Awesome. It's very awesome. They've got superior weapons and equipment and and, and armor, and they, and they can easily kill the ABC warriors. And now they can't even surrender because they sort of burned that bridge, basically. I mean, look, it's awesome. The it's emperor, awesome. Yeah, the emperor orders his ship to be destroyed by molecular shredders. And that's a cliffhanger for two progs, Fox. That they don't the FBC warriors don't come it's, back until Prog 787. It's it's so worth it with the opening second panel. Which yeah. all I'm gonna say is, you know, some robots look good with uh lace panties, I guess. Mm-hmm. The ABC Warriors will return right now. So <laughs> the there's molecular shredder doesn't actually seem to have done that much. Um, Hammerstein checks if everybody's okay. Joe Pineapples is doing great. He's singing. Isn't, isn't a lovely isn't, day to be caught in the rain. He's wearing a red leather corset situation. Got a fur-lined purple robes. High leather boots. Oh, he's got he's got a sexy ass corset. He's got he's got uh, uh, 
oh god, what are the lady suspenders? <laughs> yeah, he's got garters attached to it. Garters. He's, he's got, got, I mean, quite literally leather panties on, complete with with little bow on the front. I'm, I'm. Let me just say, I'm, I'm loving it. I'm loving. This. Fantastic. I should. I as a comics fan, I I would call this um, Hellfire Queen um, attire. Like if you're um, if you're a member of the Hellfire Club, frequent X Men villain, then oh yes, Queen Slay. This and is the guys. This is or what, she. Like, I'm not sure. What do you call Joe Pineapples now? Listen, I struggled with Joe Pineapples' pronouns as well, but I believe I'm I, I think I'm defaulting to he until they tell me otherwise, just because that was he what, what, okay. what he was before. You know, there's no reason Agree like, with that. Wearing certain clothes doesn't give you pronoun, you know, doesn't change your, your your gender identity. It's just what you like to wear. That kind of stuff. Absolutely not. And you know I what? Know. I love everything about <laughs> You, Joe. <laughs> it's good. <laughs> Joe, asks, Joe asks if he looks like Ginger Rogers. Like, surely you mean Fred Astaire. Like, I know what I said. <laughs> I thought that was pretty solid. Um, um, Joe, however, hasn't lost any of his ability pro-brain surgery. He just, just freaking snaps off a, a sniper shot that instantly takes out the molecular shredder, which is pretty awesome. I really like that Hammerstein objects to this look because... Joe is being very vain and superior. <laughs> like he doesn't like I Joe's mean, attitude. He doesn't care about the clothes. <laughs> I don't I like at this point, I'm more pro Joe than I've ever been before, especially when you get to see the the tight lace leggings that he's got on. I, the guy is going it's fabulous. Full yeah. on. Like, no, he's fab. And I fucking love it. Joe starts oh, checking God, to see whether everything. choosing it's, between it's a purple and a gold great. cape as Hammer as uh, sorry, as Deathlock sort of writes a note to his students, basically telling them not to be freaked out by this con- by this transformation. I think this this is sort of selling yeah. a, a a disclaimer that I think you have to have in 1992. I think like I'm, I'm interested to see what readers think about this and how they sort of write in and things like that. Yeah, I like I I don't take it as Joe is a joke because immediately after that happens, Joe kills people. Yeah, right? I mean, he no, I think I agree. I think Joe really established like I think they work to establish Joe as badass in the course of this. Yeah, um, in of two this story. pages. Yeah, in two and- pages. It's like I'm fabulous. I murder who gives a shit. And it it also brings Hammerstein down a little bit of a peg. Again, mm-hmm. I'm rooting for Hammerstein. I am not a chaos man. Like, it's just, it's too silly, too zany. But, you know, also the work of your creations yeah, brought I us just, reincarnated Joe Pineapples. Yeah, I just really, like, I don't know. Um, I guess, I think it's just interesting that in 2021, I feel like, if this happens, the response is basically variations of uh, "yes, queen." Basically, when, <laughs> I mean, I I did it when Joe comes <laughs> yes, out. Yes, queen, kind of slay, thing. slay, queen. Like Twenty nine years ago, might there might sadly be some less positive reactions, is what I'm trying I, to say. Well, I maybe maybe so. I at least in my opinion being kind of an alt comic anyway like we're, we're yeah. going high high violence high everything it's like well why the fuck not it's highly Definitely. sexual 
pushing yeah. boundaries. I love that. And I think they, um, they definitely make a point of it, just to jump ahead a little bit, on the cover of seven seven of 787 when they kind of relate it to like the Rocky Horror Picture Show and things like that yeah. as well. Why not? So, so, yeah. Right? Like that That was a breakout fucking oh – God. Yeah. I love I, this I, so much. I think this you're, is real, you were this not is a real wrong. fun moment. And I'm, um, I'm re- like, I was really, I was really looking forward to hearing your response to this as well. Cause I know in the past you've really enjoyed uh, Joe Pineapples. And I think this is he's, a fun addition to the He's my favorite here. ABC warrior and now solidified canon Joe Pineapples <laughs> forever. Joe Pineapples uh, <laughs> immediately. I want Excellent. him to be my, my sniper president. Oh, in, right. in leather. <laughs> Yeah, so Black Blood suggests that in that in the uh, confusion of destroying the Shredder, they should get out of there. And soon the warriors are away, riding Mechwake to the Temple of the Night, Morris, where we and where Deathlock says it must end tonight, the night of the Blood Moon. Yeah, let's go back to <laughs> Lady Horse. Yeah, uh, what is it? Um, uh, Death Lady- Pyramid. Yeah. Absolutely. Gotta get to the death pyramid. And get vomited on as a as a mummy. (laughs) Mummies don't like getting vomited on, by the way. They they're sensitive to damp fox. (laughs) Thank you. Back with the humans, Emperor Zalan is greeted by those aliens we met earlier in this story that eat with their butts and then shit out their mouths, who <laughs> welcome him to their planet with a hearty barf and he guns them down. Uh, you know, I oh I'm 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 sorry. Uh, person, are you triggered? Zalin orders Operation Jove to begin, but have it destroy all three <laughs> of the planet's moons. I, I would have called it Operation Drove, Jove 3X. Oh, oh the future. Or, or three, three Wolf Moon. <laughs> Something to that extent. Uh, see, I'd say Operation Jove, but the E becomes a three, buddy. <laughs> Oh, that's <laughs> yeah. great marketing. Yeah, that's good. Everybody likes numbers instead of letters. <laughs> it's obvious. He's, he's so leet. Yeah, but he's going to destroy these planets as an ex- make an example to everybody else. Zalan is back at the huge but slightly broken down Temple of the Night Mars, big old death pyramid. Rojaws asks if Deathlock could do a similar brain surgery that Joe got to Hammerstein, but sadly ha- Hammerstein can't be seems seemingly can't be touched by chaos at all. He's he really too much is. order. He's the ultimate straight. The bots enter the temple, careful not to disturb the nightmares as they go through this metamorphosis because the blood moon, like they're in the midst of this gross body melt thing that'll turn and them from horses totally into indestructible she devils. They're gonna turn into an H. E. Geiger or or and or uh, um oh god what is it um it's not just Geiger. It's the dude who also did the gross, lumpy practical effects. Uh, Todd Savini? There we go. It's a Savini Geiger. I'd also toss in uh, for the for the local let for, for for the local side some John Hinklinton as well, who's always good for body mm. horror. Currently freak or just recently freaked us out quite a bit in the magazine, for sure. Um, but anyway. They're only vulnerable right now, these nightmarises are. They'll soon be the indestructible she-devils. As the zombie emperor Zalin at the temple orders the attack. Someone needs to spritz the sides of his face with some, I don't know, lotion? 
Yeah, no, he's dry. Next time on ABC Warriors, oh, it's just a set of three moon emojis, Fox. But that's what it is. Moon, moon, moon. <laughs> that's how you know the alignment is coming on. Like a crescent, like a crescent moon on either side of a full moon, basically. This the- feels like it could exist, and I do love it. Non thrills, covers, and nerve centers. Here we go. Fox. Hooray! It's my least, uh, well, not least favorite part. Yeah, I was going to say, whatever. 784, mind trip. Ron Smith draws Friday taken off as he fights a bunch of toothy robot arms. Really looks like he's having a badass trip, to be perfectly honest. For sure, yeah. Just coming out of the floor, coming after him. Oh. In the nerve center. Everybody do the dinosaur, right? Whoa, yeah, exactly. This, this is the era for it, for sure. <laughs> <laughs> that song is popular in 92, as my mind recalls. Or maybe it was a couple years ago. I don't know. In the Nerve Center, Tharg is undertaking heavy research to push the boundaries of thrill knowledge. Igroid seems to be going a bit crazy. He gives a full Oscar speech and then warns that the ABC Warriors will take Prague 785 and 786 off while teasing the approaching Judgment Day. Mid-Prog, there's an ad for D&D 2nd Edition setting Al-Kadim, which I really remember well. Fox played that one. It had a, a Persia there, slash Arabia are, kind of thing. Are, are, uh, I, and I mean, I feel like I know the answer to this. Are there genies in it? Absolutely. So many genies, Fox. I really... Are there, are there flying carpets? Gins. Carpets. Oh, yeah. Excuse me. Gins. Sinbad guys, etc. But it just um seeing all these books really brought me back to second edition DD Fox, which was this whole thing. Big thing about second I mean, edition it, it, D&D better Fox. than first edition where elves were a class. Mm. <laughs> you know what I mean? Ups and downs. The big thing I'll always remember about second edition DD was that. God, this is such a tangent. I'm sorry, everybody. No, um, it's okay. The so like normally you'd ha- so you've got books for for role playing games, right? But yep for D but for second edition D and D for like the monster for the monster books, like here's a big compendium of monsters, monstrous compendiums they call them, but also just everything else. They sold them. Like basically, they'd sell you one big one. Like this thing's a monstrous compendium. Yeah, the monster one. compendium and it of would be, this, and it would be a three-ring binder. And then oh. they sold, and then the smaller monster books they would basically sell as packs of loose leaf monsters. No, like, it would be like the book. It, it wouldn't be a bound book. It would be like a folder with a bunch of loose pages that were three hole punched that you were supposed to put into a into a specific, you know, into one of the binders. That no, you also had. they're booster packs. It, yeah, essentially. Um, and uh. so I, I feel like this did make it make these monster books cheaper because they weren't bound or anything like that. Yeah, but, it but it's also cheaper it was, for the. Yeah, quality it made, of it, and it made it real easy to lose the page to lose like a monster just by losing a specific page or something like that. I can tell you that as a um, fourth through sixth grader playing D anD D, that those binders would definitely get really messed up in the backpack yeah. of like an eleven well, and twelve year old. They wouldn't be like laminate hunt, uh, punch holes, right? Where it's like, okay, there's a little bit of give. Mm-mm. I imagine it was like just raw paper, which well, is anytime you open that thing, you are damaging the paper that is all punched. And I'm talking about like the actual binders themselves, like the uh, metal like uh, rings get. And like 
getting bent and things like that. So anyway, it's just a this stuff is just a real big like I really remember this stuff really well as a as as a lad. Man, that that's a fun. nightmare. I'm I'm I mean not I I'm sure it was fun. Just also like what a cheap cheap that's cheap. Tellingly, Sorry. it's an experiment that has not been recreated in any of the uh, further editions <laughs> yeah. of some D&D mon- or yeah. other uh, role-playing games. Here's some monster booster packs you can buy Just now with the out. advent of the internet. Like, we yeah. all know how to store books. It's fine. Anyway, folks. <laughs> um, the input page is pictures of, he- of a heavy metal dread with one of them mm-hmm. tactical jackets. You know what I'm talking about? Like a, I love, like a I love both of these images. Yeah. yeah. And then a pretty sweet kind of semi-disintegrating Judge Death. And like the trail of his head says, I will never massive, die. Massive underbite, too, where it's like it's it's so distended of a jaw. Like, I love it. Definitely. Letters call out art um, art in a previous story for not having enough arm bones. They translate Beetlejuice, say 2000 AD is better than American comics. There's something weird about strawberries. And they ask why there aren't more letters from female writers. You got to send them in, Earthlets, with, you know, two T's and knee at the end. Yeah. The prog finishes with a Cliff Robinson dread advertising Judgment Day. Three billion people will die. That's not good. It's fine. Good story. We'll I feel like we'll that as an upsell is is terrifying. It's very much the tagline for this, though. Everybody's dying. Prox 85, panic attack. There's cola commandos shooting all over the place and whatever else. How did this, this make a cover next? By Anthony Williams. It's going to be three covers for this. In the nerve center, yeah. Tharg is discussing the nature of reality, and he's taking over Igroid's job because that robot's broken he plugs judgment day and explains how the crossover with the magazines will work he also calls fi on readers for using 2080 art for art contest things in computer magazines tracing boo uh, okay tracing is is also part of how you learn the artistic process but that's yeah, fine but listen learn using tracing but don't yeah, but earn don't- using tracing is is i think valid <laughs> No, get out of here. Mid Frog <laughs> Roxel is back with another mix column. They mentioned the new album by Alien Sex Fiend and any number of dance tracks that I'm not that um I mean Apex in, I Twin, that's the one that I do. Mm, this is the whole thing. Mid Prog is a big ad for a new comic about the Toxic Crusaders, which is a kid's cartoon. It's a comic based on a kid's cartoon based on the pretty edgy, uh, like, Toxic Avenger movies and stuff like that. That's a crazy thing to make a comic about. (laughs) I was about to say, like, Toxic Avenger, I know. There was a brief... Like third, like one season of a Saturday morning cartoon show based on it. Um, it's not. It's it's not a movie that I would have put in front of kids. But I mean, like Aliens had a brief child TV show. You know what I mean? Yeah. As like, does, there's like, a Robo bunch Cop of stuff. stuff. Yeah. yeah, exactly. Like, uh, oh, kids didn't see it, but we're definitely making this cartoon out of it because kids definitely saw it. Or they must have, or maybe just seeing like posters up for in TV commercials or something. Uh, that would I be mean, true for Toxic Adventure, I guess. But anyway, um, this comic, Fox, I can't help but notice, is 70 pence for 32 pages, which even in comparison to wow. our 2000 ADs, which wow. are 50 for 36 pages, seems like a ripoff. 
I mean, I'm looking at the characters here and I'm getting He-Man vibes, which means the answer is no. Indeed. The input page has a Judge Mick Jagger, 30 years uh, still a street fighting man. <laughs> and also looking like a skeleton still back then. So that's accurate. This is a guy who has people who have been saying, aren't you too old for touring and basically looking like that for 30 years, Fox. <laughs> They're the not wrong. Mm. Um, so letters ask for more Zenith. They say they saw their name in a gravestone in Finn and list a few times that Dredd has been injured in the course of his duty. And I should say Zenith right around the corner actually will be starting the next, the new, a next series of it, uh, next episode. I'm excited about that. Yeah, it should be good. The prog ends with the world in a long nailed hand. Judgment comes to Dredd's world. Not good. Mm. Which takes us to 786. Judgment Now! A scary zombie dread by Pete Doherty greets us in this one. Tharg once more waxes philosophical about the nature of reality, then plugs the sci-fi special, explains the Judgment Day reading order once more, and it teases the saucy cover of Frog 787. <laughs> Mid-prog, there's a weird advertising section that might just be in our scans, but I still want to talk about it because there's a uh, yeah, there's a two it's an page, Amiga play. Yeah, there's a two-page ad for the Amiga 600, all right? And the first page of the ad says, you know the computer you've always dreamt about? And then the next page is a bits column for the Super Nintendo. Um, and then it talks about the Amiga. So it makes it seem yeah. like the computer you've always dreamt about is a Super Nintendo. I I feel so even if even if that hit well, which I imagine it may or may not have like, I wonder how much either Amiga or Nintendo knew about where it would play in the end. And I feel like if that's true, where it's like, hey, I flip the page and it's Super Nintendo. But on the other side is the yellow page because mm -hmm. it's supposed to be consistent. I'm looking at yellow. Oh, I'm going to read the yellow thing next. Yeah. Um strategically placed is this SNES, right? Which uh, categorically, again, like uh, PCs a lot more effective in the UK and in the EU than mm. they ever were in the US, right? Like consoles consoles really didn't take off until much later. Mm. Um, specifically because there was just more that you could do with a computer than you could with a console. At least right. that's how people felt about it, right? Yeah, I mean, I, I so know. I, I feel like it was a smart placement. That's all. It's interesting. I mean, I, I again would be interested to know if you were a kid in 1992 when you're listening to this. I was, um, you know, did, were you really in England? Were you really would you be really hyped for this new Amiga or were you transitioning to Super Nintendos and so forth? Um, so like, a fun thing, Conrad, just as an aside, I didn't know that the Super Nintendo existed as a child until mm -hmm. and this is in like small rural uh, California. So I had an NES at home. And then at one point, uh, my parents took me, it was the same place that I did karate. <laughs> they had kind of a, like, cause it's where my parents would work out and do whatever weird nineties workout classes they did. Sure. Um, there was like a, a teens and kids hangout room, like in the way back. Um, and you could rent out, time on a particular console i remember these yes i th th this was and, an aspect of my youth as well <laughs> yeah and it was like oh i like i want to play a game so i went out to the counter they're like 
Okay, which one? And I see Zelda, and I'm like, oh, uh, that's Zelda. Like, I played that at home. I thought my dad made it, whatever, right? Like, now I'm a, a you know, right. slightly older child. I'm like, they made another Zelda? Looking at this, <laughs> you know, pimple teenager, and they're like, yeah. Like, that one. I want to take out that one and play it on the station over there. <laughs> <laughs> Definitely. That was the only way I knew they made another Zelda outside of the two that I had played on the NES. It's an exciting and, time. I remember in this era just being a real yeah. little shit kid begging my parents for uh, Super Nintendo's. We got very similar to an N64 kid reaction when we finally got one for Christmas. Right? Oh, I mean. My brother and me, definitely. As soon as I knew that it existed, right? Like, that was when I knew. And I was like, Mom, Dad, you know that there's this other Nintendo? And they're like, fuck. <laughs> I am more than certain. I'll embarrass myself uh, by saying that one time that um, the Christmas that the Super Nintendo actually came out, um, we did not get a Super Nintendo. Instead, they got us something else. I don't know, some other kind of big like um, present. And I, I remember us, the two of us crying that we had not gotten a Super Nintendo at Christmas. Just real, I, real listen. shitty kids, Fox. I can't stress it enough. No, I, I listen. <laughs> uh, imagine... Imagine this, that uh, my grandmother and my grandfather actually saved up because they had seen like, oh, my parents bought us like this console, that console. They had gone to a uh, back then it was, you know, a hardware professional at a store where you would buy <laughs> hardware <laughs> before there was things like Best Buy. They saved up for a Sega Dreamcast and uh, dropped that on us. And we were like, What? What is this? We've never heard of a Sega Dreamcast before. That's amazing. Now we and we spent all Christmas fucking playing that thing. My sister was doing the whole Sonic Adventure Tamagotchi thing that came with it. Uh, <laughs> lo and behold, that that thing is like literal, like it's great archival trash now, but it's uh, literal trash uh, in most people's eyes. Like my oh, no grandma, way. I love that Dreamcast, had, buddy. No, no, I mean I'm just saying. My grandmother was like, you know. Like, uh, she was like, oh, but I thought he loved Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles. And my parents were like, yeah, he likes video games now. And she and my grandfather saved to get that console. Oh, that's nice. Buddy. And absolutely. But, right. Like, uh, you know, uh, think about what kids like. Uh, they may not play it forever, but I'll tell you what. A train set doesn't go as long away as it used to. Because no. I had a train set as a kid. Hey, listen, I appreciate you sticking up. Poor young Conrad, but that kid is spoiled brat, buddy. Oh man, not I, much change. I listen, today. all all children are spoiled. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, um, the input page has a big picture of Judge Harpo Marks. Letters asking why Judge weird, Perry. weird, weird. Mm -hmm. It creeped me out. Fair. A letter. <laughs> no, definitely, I agree. Letters ask why Judge Perrier wears lipstick, and Tharg implies that maybe she she's just got red lips. Um, another writer wow, says that okay. Tales from Beyond Science, that an episode of Tales from Beyond Science is a ripoff of the movie The Man with X-Ray Eyes, complete with similar ending scene. And a what? third writer Ooh. wants his mom to start reading his 2018. Yeah, I guess it was the Tales from Beyond Science with that dude that got the nipple eyes, I guess. And uh, that's not good. That's there not was a, good a movie that ended a Roger with Corman nipple movie. Eyes. Well, not with nipple eyes, but with Roger guy Corman movie. Oh, I'm so excited. Going on some kind of quest and seeing things, seeing mystical things. And, and like, 
I guess not the actual movie it says in the letter, but like a deleted uh, the, the the original end of the movie that wasn't used. A man with putting, X-rays. Putting I his cannot eyes believe out. a child was like Roger Corman's movie. I mean, That's this, what's blowing my mind. <laughs> both this and the Harpo Marx feels like now we're getting into um, film savvy teenagers that are into this kind of stuff. You know, it feels like red letter media. I mean, certainly like this would this would be the red letter media guys when they were teens. You know, <laughs> that's actually that's actually probably like it's, it's 1992. You know, I don't know how those, how old those guys are, but I feel like again, I feel like when I see these guys, they're of a similar age to like me, and I was. At this point, I was 11. I was just starting to get into Mystery Science Theater 3000. Like, that would have been this year that I started getting I mean, into that. So and that's to, when I'd be, be aware of Roger Corman and things. To be clear, this is this is Sandra Rennie at, writing from the University of St. Andrews. Yeah. So this, is, this is like a 20-year-old writing about, like, hey, feels like this is a Roger Corman film. And I'm like, who the... The yeah, so fuck this could, watches Roger Corman. But this could be a <laughs> like, yeah, a, uh, like a a teenager that's get into watching bad movies and stuff like that. This is the rise correct. of that end of that kind of nostalgia stuff that again I feel like is a really big deal among young among sort of like hip young people sort of starting in this early nineties era. Ooh, I'd love the time shout fucks. out to shout out to Sandra Rennie. Like the same a people. Fife. The same people that are putting together Mystery Science Theater 3000 again are sort of in the same thing. Well, let's watch these I'll movies tell you this 60s, much. The buddy. Netflix one, the Netflix one feels a lot less genuine. But my God, there are so many, so and, many you can watch on YouTube. Yeah, I'm not I'm not talking, you know, listen, I'm talking about the classic stuff, Fox. I'm talking about that. The that, classic stuff that feels black, so black good. Tar, uh Mystery Science Theater stuff. Anyway, that, that Joel life. Hey, speaking of uh, classic space adventure, Fox, where you can see the strings and stuff, let's talk about <laughs> Drill Four Rogue Trooper. I mean, if he can say anything, there are no strings on me, mm. it, unless it's from a giant uh, thing that killed Steve Alligator Irwin? Man. Yeah. yeah, thank you, Steve Irwin. <laughs> Manta Ray. It's a giant, gross tongue, Manta Ray. Yeah, no, I'm, I'm going to talk about it. Script, I, 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 script robot Michael Fleischer, art robot Ron Smith, letting robot Alita Fell. Friday, Fox, the rogue trooper is at the helm of a powerful alien ship deep beneath the Indian Ocean, trying desperately to figure out how to operate the dang thing before he drowns. He prepares... Luckily, yeah. luckily. He, appears to, he prepares to evacuate the ship when a giant... Fleshy pink manta ray alien, translucent fleshy pink tongue manta ray, and it presses a button on the ship, and this causes Friday to mentally link with the vehicle, and now we can control it by thought entirely. It is both gross and I hate it. He goes to leave, dropping a locator beacon to continue. <laughs> dropping a locator beacon. Whoa. But basically, <laughs> it's just sort of, it seems like the fish in this area have been really no. healthy and prosperous. And so the locator beacon will continue this I, effect so the locals living in the fishing village nearby won't get screwed by Friday leaving. Okay. So, frankly, given given the way that this alien being, which we will learn about later... It's like all life, man. Don't just fuck it up. Mm-hmm. It knows that all the fish are congregating around it because of the weirdo vibrations that this thing is giving off. So it mm-hmm. sends out a canister so that people can eat the fish. Yeah, but all it is is just a fish beacon. That's right. <laughs> so 
All it's doing is making sure everyone else doesn't get the fish, but these people do get the fish. And if we leave, then those people don't get the fish, but everyone else also gets the fish. Well, I get, we need to leave this beacon here. It maybe feels it's just, like the, the, the ship's been I'm there just for saying, like I'm seeing years the holes. or something. It's developed a uh, an ecosystem. I'm just and seeing stuff. the holes. Mm, fair I'm enough. just seeing the holes. Also, hey, let me go out onto this catwalk that's... Yeah, Just the ship right takes here. off. Friday waves <laughs> the locals as he does. They'll be okay as he heads off into space to take out that dang megacorp. But then suddenly, just outside Earth's atmosphere, the ship comes to a dead stop. And then Friday remembers that there's a dang old alien that was here. Uh, I <laughs> Just now, huh? Well, I mean, you know, maybe, I mean... Well, and keep in mind, what it did was it touched its tail to his head. Uh, I guess it didn't pierce his heart. Not trying to be rude or pedantic here. It's just like, maybe don't trust a fleshy, translucent, fucking disgusting alien. I mean, to me, I'm sort of guessing that the alien made Friday forget him, like with part of its mind-clouding thingamajigs. We see it's got psychic abilities. Um, fr- the alien is zapping Friday with its weird ray tail. Friday goes to grab his rifle. It opens fire on the alien, but in response, the creature turns green and its skin hardens, kind of grows armor, basically. Friday grabs a powerful grenade, but before he can throw it, the alien sends him images from his own brain of GI trading and that lady that he's met previously, and then images of the mm. alien's people. They say, you know, they sort of observe the warlike nature of humanity, worry that they're getting into space and so send one of their dreadnought spaceships with the aim of using it to destroy the Earth. Where they're perfectly okay with manipulating people who are trying to defend themselves against this thing instead of it communicating with them saying like, hey, look, we're not like, let's not just try to shoot each other. Uh, It waits until he's being perfectly violent to then do that. I really feel like, uh, you know, intelligence is intelligence, but wits are wits, man. Self, you know, I don't know how good this this uh, disgusting, disgusting flesh alien is. That's all. <laughs> fair. It feels like it's timings off. Yeah. Fair, yeah, totally fair. Um, so but it looks like the ra- the radiation belt around Earth scrambled the ship's system, causing it to crash into the ocean until the very moment Friday woke it up when he brought got into the That's ship. That's a good thing because they weren't going to blow up the, the Earth until Friday showed up. Well, I mean, they weren't able to. That was there had been their plan. That's the al- sort of my point. <laughs> the alien makes Friday feel immense pain. He wants to stop the alien. But um, and in fact, but sees the view screen. There's only 50 seconds until the ship explodes, taking Earth with it. The dreadnought is counting down as a bloody-faced Friday from his nose, mouth, and eyes crawls towards the powerful grenade and tries to trigger it through excruciating psychic pain. But the alien can read Friday's thoughts. Oh, man. Headbutts him to stop him from activating the grenade. But before the fight can go further, the ship is attacked by a megacorp blockade satellite, which fills Friday with memories of his life as a GI and the ill treatment of him and his comrades by Clavel Corp, how they were left to die. And everybody on Earth was abandoned as well. And they left these war satel- these uh, these uh, blockade satellites behind to keep anybody from leaving Earth with the material that the megacorps left behind when they abandoned the planet. 
You reading this alien brain life? He is. The alien reads all this from Friday's mind, still sees Friday prepared to sacrifice himself to save the Earth, and the alien seems to understand what's going on. It stops the countdown, ends Friday's pain, and the ship boosts off into space. The alien actually does seem pretty ready to help Friday destroy the Megacorps, but sadly, the Megacorp fleep has arrived to stop them. Ah, snap. Led uh, there's by a bunch of ships. Yeah, led by Admiral Barons of the uh, Clavel Corp security fleet. He's got kind of a Stallone look, I guess. Maybe. Um, yeah, I'd say that. He asks for them to surrender, but that word is not in Friday's vocabulary. So he starts shooting. The alien wonders why Friday didn't try to like talk and figure out what's going on, and Friday just says that war and violence with the Megacorps is inevitable. The dreadnought. War. War never changes. Yeah, sometimes it's in space. The Dreadnought flies for the fleet's golden command ship. And here's where the alien uh, transmits images of various previous Friday villains. And the Clavo boys identify them all as dudes from Nova Corp, <laughs> which I guess is another mega corporation that's behind all the machinations. Yeah, no, on that was the seeing. one that looked like Smash TV. Yeah, the Smash TV guy, the alien with the artificial gills, all those guys. Uh, yeah, yeah. Not good. But hey, uh, who gives a hoot? Let them go because yeah. well, they they're try not to, us. They try to capture them. The ca- the gen- the, uh, the admirals like, oh, man, like they want to fight our enemies. Interesting. But I'd much rather get that thought projecting technology from whatever's going on. Oh, with yeah, that ship. right. So they try to grab him with a tractor beam. But. In, and while it's oh, so yeah, powerful, they do a chicken race. Yeah, they can't break free. So instead, Friday plays chicken and goes to ram the ship tractoring it. And this seems to send the tractor beam back into the tractor generator, which makes which, the ship explode. Which, uh, you know, I really feel like uh, for tractor beam technology, that's the fail safe you need the most. Yeah, it doesn't seem like that work, but I don't know how tractor beam technology works at all. Um, they sort of fly through the debris of the exploding ship and break the cordon and the admiral says to let them go. No reason to really stop, like, you know, there's no, like, at this point, it'd be, it'd cost more to stop them than the profit of the damage that they'll do to uh, the Nova Corps um, ships and stuff like that. I like at the very least that an admiral for a corporation is thinking in terms of money, I guess. That's a positive I'll say about this. I think that's good admiral-level thinking. Uh, Deeper in space, we see a high-tech command center, which picks up income and trouble. With skulls. Keep in mind, with skulls. Yeah. There's skulls all over the place. Skulls on either side of the... uh, Skulls on either side of the view screen. I mean, I don't know why... Yeah, that's obvious. Um, And they say to patch in the old man, next time on Rogue Trooper Friday, war in space. (laughs) War in space. Should be exciting. I I feel like, so skulls as an insignia, I get it that you would put it inside your spaceship, wouldn't like, I feel like the skulls are something you put outside the spaceship. Like, the, the, the hey, it's the ship, skull ship. The, the clavel ship did have some exterior skulls, definitely. Yeah, um, I just, I don't know how much the view screen having skulls. I mean, maybe they did some research and they found out that it increases 
evil by ten yeah. percent productivity bonus. I've played these video. I played. I played this new Evil Genius game, Fox. <laughs> you gotta decorate. You do have to decorate. It does give people like a reduction to their not being evil people. You'd want you'd want such a boy's spaceship fox with just plain white walls. I mean, listen, else. if if I had my say in it, there'd be a bunch of space crucifixes with people outside of you them gotta, floating around. You got to get some posters up in your spaceship, you know, maybe you got to f- make sure that there aren't these like flashing Beeping things that are listening devices, but also make sure there's not a briefcase on the ground in case someone shows up. Maybe like uh, uh, like a framed thing or two. Maybe get like a uh, an atomizer in there to get some aromatherapy going. All this stuff. Well, you know, it's you just know, good, I'd, I'd, good, I'd make sure that there's design. like a a holographic brain in my uh, uh, like laboratory so that they'd be like, ah, oh, it's a holographic brain. I'm not going to lose as much loyalty right now. Of course, obviously. And I do appreciate your reference to the uh, Star Slayers as well, Fox, always. <laughs> I mean, I knew that you did without you saying it, but I appreciate you directly saying it to me because it makes me feel valid. Very excited to some, I'd love to someday see someone rip that off in a movie, Fox. Oh my God. Okay. I, I I want it just in like I want to be a spaceship evil genius who's like I'm I'm not gonna get planet destroyed by anybody. I'm gonna throw these space crucifixes. Seems like out a good there. a good uh, expansion pack, you know. Re- re- Can't stress re- it enough. Rebellion, if you're listening, you know. Um, and hey, Fox. Speaking of cool movies, we'd like to see. I mean, it's the movie we deserve. Let's see. Let's talk about. Real five button man. I would also have uh, accepted blam blam the dumb the dumb pooing. Hmm. Script robot John Wagner, art robot Arthur Ranson, letting robot Steve Potter. I should say button man has been optioned to have a movie of it, but I don't think there's anything else that's been attached to it or anything like that. When? I don't know. I think it's just still in in pre-production slash development hell kind of, you know what I mean? 2021 because to me it's to me it's actually it's a it's a great it, it has a good amount of potential even now right you know it was it was optioned in um 2019 they say it's gonna be made by netflix um but i don't think um but uh, i trust netflix with a button man We'll see. I mean, it's it's hard to say. It's been optioned before. Nothing's really happening. Yeah, there's no date given for. Um, they said uh, uh, Brian Hegland has been attached to it from like LA Confidential and, and Mystic River and oh, stuff man, like that. Oh man, that's cool. But there's no schedule for for to start filming or um, or release or anything like that. So you know, just sort of pie in the sky, like sort of like the Dread TV series. All these potential things that could happen someday. We'll see if they ever do. Hey, if, oh, you're li- sure. if you're listening to this in the future and those movie and those projects exist, then you're living in a better time than now, is what I'll say. Um, anyway, yeah, that's correct. <laughs> so, mercenary Harry Exton has become a button man, a hired killer for the for the idle rich. He's currently involved in a two-on-two war game alongside his buddy Carl. It's night on a heath. They've got rifles going against a pair of Welsh dudes as the rich guys called the Voices look on from a nearby cliff. Harry takes position behind an ancient stone wall and we see Carl moving sneakily into a river. 
The Welshmen clearly think that they have both Harry and Carl pinned down. They see two um, rifles shooting back at them and go to flank them when Carl comes out of hiding in a Fuck. river. Yes. And takes down one of the uh, Welshmen counterflanking here, basically. The- then you dodge and you let your man come up with a double submachine gun. Yeah, the pistol fire gets the other Welshman out of position, and Harry Exon comes up with two rifles and just shoots the turns that guy into a red mist, basically. Oh God, it's the it, it's it, beautiful. It's pretty cool. The voices over overhead are very sporting about the murder they've just seen. Um, the other Wel- Welshman is alive, but still wounded. Usually you'd have to take his marker in this situation, but this time the Toffs saw it all, so they're just sort of fine with that. The voices head off in their chopper, one complimenting um, another one named Leonard, um, who is the guy I feel who like, I feel like if Harry's you voice. don't know, I feel like if you don't know the end of the story as of yet, mm-hmm. like... It'll it'll be a nice surprise, but I I guessed this uh, like you know last episode internally <laughs> who this was, and it, it's solidified in this episode. Yeah, I, it's so it's so good. It's so good. <laughs> yeah, no, definitely. Yeah, so they compliment Leonard. Um, Carl waxes philosophical about he and Harry being modern day gladiators, and they sort of shout, "We who are about to die salute you!" As the chopper flies off. At least so long as the money's good. Yeah, as long as the money's good. Like that's <laughs> yeah. Carl and, and Harry talk about their voices while throwing their guns into the lake. It seems Carl knows who his voice is, but isn't telling and doesn't know who Harry's is. Yeah, no, he did some fingerprint stuff and he's like, Yeah, of course I, I did my check. You know, just be careful. Kind of talk. Yeah. Some things are better left unknown. And back at Dr. L.A. Sparling Psychiatry Office, Harry explains uh, some of the nature of being a button man and a killer in general, I guess. He then talks about like just sort of how you have to be cold and you, you know, doesn't really bother him that much. He says the voices are like the doctor, rich and important people, the ruling classes that are so bored they need this killing game to experience any kind of feeling. They'll you know, that the only the only note I have for all of this is that. I get you need to sort of explain that section of it. Mm-hmm. I really wish it had gotten uh, if they had been able to shorten the sentences as much as they could have into like one box per panel mm-hmm. and give that kind of black and white, like smoky room. We're all rich playing with people's lives kind of thing. I feel like that would have played a little better. I feel like there's still some of it's that. My, like we it's see my the- only note. It's my only note because e- it, like it's literally perfect. I just you know you like, can kind of tell it's like the yeah. smoky room, the rich people, the yeah. We get yeah. a sense of it, but I think there's also like at, like this laying the background. We like I, I feel like you have to balance that. They just have a certain number of pages, and they definitely want to get to this cliffhanger that we're going to in this prog and stuff like that. Um, we yeah, absolutely that Harry's voice always wants to know the sordid details of his kills. Harry says he seems like his voice seems like he'd love to kill somebody, but doesn't have. The yeah, guts. he's a little sick. A little <laughs> sick. Harry says he tries to run his voice. He tried to run his voices, his voices prints, but the, nothing came back. They must never have been arrested for anything. Um, Harry says he figured that he could do some more jobs, get enough, get a decent amount of money and then get out. But that was a mistake. In the present, his wounds and blood loss are clearly really getting to him. 
Um, and the doctor's just like, hey, like, if you won't get medical attention, you won't, like, don't want my psychiatry advice, then what do you want me to do? Um, you know, and especially with his, like, casual attitude toward murder and stuff. And doctor knows how the doc, how the doctor can help him. But first, let me tell you about Ringo. You know, and, and I'll preface this and let you go through it. The mm-hmm. first time that I read this through, because I read through Button Man twice. Mm-hmm. When you're reading it through for the first point, you're like, why is this? Why is he pouring it into his hand? Whatever you think he's drinking, maybe. Mm-hmm. It's very clear on the second reading that he's rubbing the whiskey all over his body and his clothes. Yes. And I love that attention to detail because it's clear, especially in the next. It, it This is all the game. Yeah. You know absolutely. what I mean? Anyway, please. Yeah, so in a flat above a funeral parlor, a man run, rubs Jameson into his coat and clothes, kisses a fire axe while holding a silenced revolver. He walks into the foggy streets as Harry explains that he was to meet Ringo at a bar. The two of them are going to do a button man thing. The two of them do meet. We learn that Ringo is a two-time loser, reeking of booze when Harry meets him, and so Exon's confident that he'll be able to kill him pretty easily. Harry tries to talk Ringo out of taking part in the game, saying he should quit, but Ringo says not to, you know, don't kid yourself, you can't quit this game. Ringo then walks into the fog as Harry checks his drink and sees that Ringo is just drinking ginger ale. Ginger ale. Not quite as drunk as he looked. Exactly. I loved that reveal. It's these little things that they, ah, God, and and putting on the gloves in the next scene and, ah. I mean, so much. I want this to be a show. So much of Ranson's artwork in the course of Button Man are these, like, maybe like nine panels of, like, are, are these panels that have all these kind of, like, still images or moments of just, like, yeah. putting on a glove, holding a gun. Method. The, clo- the, the uh, a close-up on someone's face as they sort of think something over or something like that. It's really cool. It's really cinematic well, and, and really amazing feel- thing. And you feel it. You can you can understand and contextualize what's going on just based on the still frame action, as opposed to nothing being said and some stuff happening on screen. It's a still frame and no. you can get what's going on, yeah, which I, know, I just exactly. I what's love going on it. For sure. I love it. It's intoxicating, man. The two men head into the fog. They both have silenced pistols. Harry's got an automatic and Ringo a revolver. And that actually, Fox, let me down a rabbit hole to see if you could silence a revolver. You definitely can. It's pretty cool, actually. You you can. It's, uh, it's um, uh, what's the word that I'm looking for? It, you can, it, it, it gets used up faster on a revolver, if that makes sense. Yeah, like, I mean, it's because a lot of that's- Because it's with- a larger caliber bullet. For the most part. And it's a lot of like, there's like of a gas, of a channeled gases and stuff like that. Exactly. That's sort of the the big thing. Like with the the revolver, you have to sort of have a special um, chamber for the gun so that all of the um, ex- all, all of the explosive of the uh, of, of the gun being shot sort of travels down the barrel as opposed to coming out of like the action mm-hmm. of the gun or whatever. But anyway, I don't know a lot about guns, Fox. But I thought that was kind of fun. Um, it's it's a good it's quality art. Yeah, and I and thought I, actually I really like it just because 
you know, again, not knowing a ton about guns, but to me, you know, I think I think definitely automatics always feel more, you know, are more smooth and modern than um, than revolvers. And so I think that also kind of differentiates these characters by like what kind of gun yeah, they're using exactly. and stuff. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Just more cool character design kind of things. Um, so in the- Someone's fo- a little bit more old school. Someone's a little bit more, you know, yeah, new age. Like a tech kind of flashier. Stuff. Yeah. Yeah. So in the, uh, a nice old lady comes out of the fog, asks Harry if he's a copper, and uh, then kind of ta- dawdles off. And then the shooting starts. The guns are silenced. They're, they're shooting and making these like- Sounds over and over again. I love that. This this also led me to just have an idle idle reverie about how I feel like in like the eighties, I guess maybe the eighties and nineties, you saw a ton of like silenced pistols and stuff. And I feel like yep. you, you don't see them as often in like movies and stuff these days. Yeah, which is somewhat bothersome when you're dealing with assassin films. Well, yeah, but I you know think, what I mean. Yeah, although I think in the end, my decision is to go Freudian with it and basically. Like you have a big silence, you you have you you have a pistol with a silencer because that makes the gun real big, you know. Like mm. it, it like doubles the length of the gun and makes the barrel really thick and stuff like that. And I've got a thick silencer, girl. I always think of uh, Tango and Cash, where um, oh my god, <laughs> like Swayze has like a uh, has a has like a one of those giant like um magnum revolvers yep. with a laser yep. sight on it that's bigger than the gun itself and stuff but nowadays people just use like a rifle like Berettas use, like an, or a or a, rev, or a rifle yeah, yeah like but, an, yeah. Uh, an M4A1 or something yeah yeah the, you're more likely to have yeah like a an AK4 or not no sorry like, like an AR15 or one of these assault rifle mm-hmm. kind of things and I feel like those are already pretty big and they, you still jam stuff on that. So like you don't, you know, the need stacks for- Stacks on for, stacks, baby. Yeah. So the, so, so the need for a real big pistol where that's not the primary weapon isn't, an, isn't necessary. That's what I'm trying to say. So anyway, um, they're shooting each other with these silenced pistols. In the present, the doctor's really shocked by this idea of a gunfight in the middle of London. As Harry explains that- Ringo was shooting pretty wildly, more part of his drunk act as this is happening. In fact, he wasn't firing wildly. He's forcing Harry into an appointed killing ground. Exactly. Harry moves into this house, which has creepy little kid wallpaper. But that wallpaper is <laughs> part of a fake wall. And we see the wallpaper just parting th- behind the blade of Ringo's axe. And only. But man, he already knew he was moving already. I knew you were going to Kool Aid Man through that paper. Yeah, only Harry's like just sort of native sixth sense or whatever. The fact, like, this, that, that the sort of feeling you get when someone's watching you lets him dodge free and escape the axe coming down. Oh, it's cool. This also actually really reminds me of this action story, um, The Running Man, Fox. Oh. Which yeah. al- also had. <laughs> well, no, but I mean, but. Which isn't anything to do with like the Stephen King story or whatever. It was about this guy who was framed for a uh, gangster for a murder a gangster did, and they sent a hitman after him called Crazy Luigi, who also used an axe and stuff. So I don't know. I, I thought that was kind you're of funny. only called Crazy Luigi if you do something with an axe. <laughs> very, very true. Um, so 
Harry dodges the blade and tackles Ringo. He's got the man at his mercy. Ringo tries to surrender, but he's already turned in his marker twice, and the third time means you die. Harry, And I mean, that's pretty shocking. It's pretty tough. Harry grabs Ringo by the <laughs> head and throws him out of the side of a secondary window where he lands on some barbed wire and a chain link fence. Harry then drags, then searches him for ID and every and other identifying things. Like, oh God, he's he's unscrupulous, man. He is just not nice to this man. And cold as ice, drags him to some train tracks. It seems like uh, Ringo has like broken his back or his legs or something in the fall. Yeah, I know. He's just like, listen, you got to help me. And he's like, I'm going to help you. Just going to put your neck on this here train track. Yeah, he definitely can't It's all move. good, man. Puts his neck on the rails, on, on one of the rails of the train track as the as a light on a meeting that a train is coming illuminates the scene. Harry tells Ringo he should have quit when he had the chance. And Ringo says, I didn't have a chance. You can't quit this game. I'm not just saying that like, <laughs> like, like listen. As, a, as a metaphor for the seductive nature of murder. I'm saying you can't quit. They don't <laughs> let you. Bro, <laughs> I you can see... And yes, I used my three continues. Uh, didn't really work. Can't leave. Yeah. And now you're putting me on this railroad track. He screams Harry's name as the train approaches. And then there's only the blackness of the wheels of the train. Cut to Lionfish. And also, man, let me tell you. And because there's a reveal that's coming up here. And I mm -hmm. just want to say, isn't it interesting that Harry is being so descriptive of his kills and everything that's going on mm. all the while we are being told that you know what these voices like they like those descriptions they like those well no harry's details. voice harry's voice specifically likes that yes exactly he likes all of the gory brutal specific details yeah so the Cut two. Yeah, so the train made the death look like this look like a suicide, I guess. They decided just not to check in the fact that his back was also broken. But that threw off the cops. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> the doctor calls Harry a cold fish, and Harry basically agrees. Um, but the story continues. After killing Ringo, Harry went home and detailed the fight to his voice, and then asked to quit the game. The voice tries to talk Harry out of it, but the button man is very set in. The voice says, calls him a cold fish, and in the darkness of Harry's farmhouse... Mm. Calls him a cold fish, you say. Mm, we see a badger attack and kill a snake. I think it's an adder, actually. Um, uh, it's a mongoose attacking an adder. Oh, no, you're right. It is a badger. It's a badger, they, specifically yeah, they, because they we, we get a, a transition where we like zoom in on the stripes of the right, badger's right, face and then right. zoom out no, on right. the stripes of the lionfish. Um, Harry says he, you know, he kept thinking about what Ringo said about not being able to quit the game. So he basically just asked to quit to find out if that was correct. Cause it's, you know, Harry makes it very explicit. Like he doesn't mind killing people. That's fine. What he minds is being controlled. He doesn't yeah, want that. Don't I listen, I have no strings to hold me down to keep me up or to make me friends. That's right. He's an Ultron Pinocchio buddy. Uh, <laughs> Later, while he's working on his car, <laughs> Harry gets a phone call from his voice, and it says that Harry can get out if he does one last job. Harry agrees, and the rules of the game are simple. Head to Norfolk at 6 p.m. with a pistol with eight rounds of ammunition, and then more instructions to follow. 
Harry. Uh, this feels like a John Wick situation. Hey, why not? Let's drive off into the monkey house. Harry heads out not knowing that he's on his way to a button man's convention and he's the star attraction. I mean, that just means he's going to John Wick the shit out of a bunch of people. Is this the original John Wick? The answer is yes. Certainly. Next time on Button Man. The Monkey House. (laughs) I I mean, so I had my suspicions, right? Like you're going to this particular person, the L being Lawrence, like like there's, there's enough hints within this before they drop you with the yes, this is absolutely that guy with the cold fish um, yeah. argument. I love that. I love that seeding. I love that. Like you, you, you could know, or maybe it is true, but it might not be true, but it, like that instinct into this is why he's there being seated through the whole thing to me is great plot development. Definitely. Yeah. Um, I mean, I'll say I, like, yeah, we, we talked about this a little bit actually over on uh, big Meg one. And it may be, mm-hmm. and it's something that I've been thinking about with sort of how you write a mystery. I guess it's something yeah. that that I'm always interested in because I love, like you know, I'm a big fan of capers and things where there are um, are plot twists and reveals, twists and whodunits. And whodunits. And whodunits. Yeah. yeah, and so you know, the key to those things, and, and I kind of clocked like sort of the pacing for those things, where the key to this kind of thing is that you want to leave hints. So that you feel like you want to murder on the Orient Express yeah, situation. Let you figure it out, sort of as the um, as the characters kind of figuring it out. I think you and, know, and it's okay if like if the seeds are planted early, and if you have that inkling, the important thing is to like plant further evidence to connect the dots, yeah. right? Like what I what I don't like specifically about. Um, there's there's quite a bit of like murder stuff that's on Netflix, Amazon, what have you that are like, ah, but uh, all of this. And now it's suddenly fine. This one, yeah. it feels to me like this is a traditional mystery story where, you know, that's a big might. Yeah, you might miss it if you aren't watching quickly or if, if you aren't reading closely. Yeah. And I think that's a big or if I, you weren't looking at the imagery. Right. Yeah. And I definitely think that that is a big criticism of of or that can be a big criticism of some whodunits is just that when we don't have all the information, for instance, or something like that. Yeah. Like, I think like I think it's interesting that, you know, I, I feel like it's it's from what we've been talking about at this point, like it's pretty clear, of course, that the doctor is Harry's voice. But we're coming to it from a different way than Harry's going to come to it. I think that's an important thing. Because and, well, and I think Harry, that's exciting. Yeah, because Harry couldn't have overheard the voices talking and one being called Leonard, and then we see that this guy's name exactly. is Ella or whatever. We Harry can't know that they both use the term "cold fish," right? So, exactly. It's a dissonance between us and the character, yeah. and so it's interesting to see how the character resolves that. Yeah, situation. So, so we're putting it together our way, but there's still a mystery about how Harry's going to put it together. And I think that wanting to exactly. see how he does that does sort of build an extra level of suspense. Like we know, of course, because yes. he's telling the story now that whatever happens at the monkey house, Harry's going to survive. Maybe that might be. Maybe he might be coming to the doctor right after. 
through that, maybe something else happens, right? Who knows? Who knows? But right? we know that he'll at least we, we we know that he'll overcome somehow, right? Because he's made it this far. But and it's exciting. It makes it it make it. it I, I I think it it, it whets your appetite for what's going to happen next, and also has a larger thing of how Harry's going to learn who his voice is and stuff. And it's just it really yes. creates this suspense and um and like you know creates this this kind of mystery thing that is really great and is really um unusual in 2000 AD. I guess is this level I, of writing. I think it engages you as a a participant in reading and it engages you within the story as giving a shit about the character right because you see the end result Mm -hmm. but you don't know how like it it, to me it's 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 fascinating writing mixed with absolutely fantastic uh uh imagery and coloring and again unlike some of the you know the thrills that we've read the I like I want to read every single letter that's in here and yeah. it's all placed in like if you look at the placing, it's always out of the way. They never want to cover something up. There is it's actually one of my favorite frames in this. It's just a window mm-hmm. and he's talking to his voice. There are three talk bubbles that show up and none of them cover the window. They are all strategically placed to be around the window because you can see a window, but the windows like, yeah, you're outside because the next panel is as you pan farther out, you're outside. You can see the car and like all of this other stuff. It It's well done because it's slowly panning out from the car, farther away from the car, from the window, farther away from the car, the window. Now you see the house farther away from the house, the window, the car, you see the badger. It's like it's it is this panning shot away because it needs to signify what's going on mm-hmm. again with animals. And all of this is so well thought out because it doesn't want to cover up any of the imagery, but wants you to be compelled to read it and be enthralled with it. It is a great comic. Absolutely. Yeah. Button Man is fantastic. Sorry. That was Spoiler my tirade. Top and bottom, but I, I really love this story as well. Like this is, and this is why I got so angry when you made fun of the name button. Man. I know <laughs> I get it. No, I'm going to be, I'm going to be eating that. Listen, I deserve it. I'm going to be eating that for a while. Because and you know what? I've, I've accepted, I've accepted my lot in life. For all of my dumb button man jokes. I'm just, I'm just trying I to be deserve like, you it. Put some, you got to put some respect on this thrill's name, buddy. You got to be careful. But yeah, listen. Hey, speaking of things, I'm less respectful for Fox. I mean, speaking of somebody who should eat their letters. Mm, let's talk about Thrill Six Future Shocks. <sighs> Two quickies here. How quickly? While, how quickly um, does a joke go bad? It's called about four pages when it could be two. Yep, just some stuff to take over with um, ABC Warriors and stuff like that. All right, first up, we got Nightmare on Sesame Street. Script robot Mark Miller, yep. art robot Brian Williamson, letter about Pat Prentice. This story, Fox. Fozzie Bear isn't on Sesame Street, so okay. It led me down another weird rabbit hole to know if they even broadcast Sesame Street in the UK. It did. Or they do, but it, yeah, it, it no, has they, a, it's got a rocky history, including some initial concerns about like Americanness being confusing to kids and stuff like that. So, well, the the Muppets, uh, or or rather, um, why am I forgetting his name right now? Jim Henson, creator of the Muppets. Jim Henson's studio was actually in the UK. Mm. So it like it was this it was this fellow that actually gave him 
some, I, I, I was about to say a lord or, of some kind, but it was a businessman who yeah. was like, yes, your your stuff is good. Come work over here. And so most of the stuff he did for the Muppets was actually out of the UK. Interesting. But so we've got this hard-boiled Muppet bear detective, Fuzz Bear. It is Fuzzy Bear. Very kind of Fuzzy Bear Doing with a mustache. Sesame. Yes. He's got a trench coat and a fedora, and he's called out to investigate the murder of the letter A. There's some other Muppet cops investigating, and in their word bubbles, the A's have all been blanked out. I It's... It's a funny thing they did, but they stretched it out of four pages. All right. Anyway, all the word bubble. Yeah, the A's been blanked out in all the word bubbles as people are talking because A's been killed, of course. His And then what happens next, Conrad? Well, his prime suspect is the letter B. Um, we see in the foreground, there's like an Oscar the Grouch um, boozing and stuff. But I really like just yeah. the B's mug shot where it's the letter B and then just kind of a line when it turns to the side. That's pretty solid. Yeah, that's funny. He kicks down B's door but sees the consonant has been stabbed right in the in the crossbar. Sees that the consonant has been stabbed by who? Well, then he steps out of the apartment and sees that letter C has been hung in the hallway, his hands tied behind his back. I can't believe it. He sees other cops, but when he goes to meet them, he sees the letter D being murdered through an upstairs window. The cops run to find the killer when there's suddenly a massive explosion. D dies in the bear's arms, but all the letters are now dead, so their final word bubbles are just censored stars. It's cute. I mean, I I, I think that the... It's cute. <laughs> Don't know if we needed... Four panels of a grizzled Fozzie bear, but you know, he's weirdly. I feel like I feel like a a bad Columbo Fozzie bear should have been a joke if it wasn't. One. I mean, there yeah, there must be a Muppet Columbo thing out there. Um, I found this Muppet to be weirdly hairy in a way that I found to be. A yeah, little weird. no, they did the close up on the hands and stuff like that, where it's like there's all right a sci-fi sh- a science fiction short story fox. That's about like a society that starts banning letters or words or something like that. Oh, God. And it's like this. I forget exactly how it goes. But like I mean, this, I feel like that's 1984, but also no, because like it's a very like it's kind of an existential story because you kind of it's shown through a series of dictates like like banning different words and doing different uh, yeah. conjunctions. And so it's just a series of those dictates. And then each one is sort of takes the changes from the previous one and then adds more. And, and it's stuff less like that. and less and more and more. Exactly. But yeah, no, yeah. I get what it's you mean. It just sort of shows the evolution over time. But I forget what it was. I forgot to look it up. And when I try to look it up now, I, it's, I'm just not going to be able to find it. Anyway, um, but sorry. No, I get what you I get what you're saying, because that that actually is an interesting aspect because you're building on the previous which really what you're saying is like, yes, you're building something, but you're removing everything else. Yeah, I so, like that kind of concept. Yeah, so so, so the, the killing of these letters is 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 kind of like that. You know, maybe when I edit it, I'll try to figure it out and then I'll put it in the show notes or something. <laughs> this okay. could have been that smart, but instead it was. <laughs> Indeed. Next story, a fate. It may have it may have seen sharp, but it it's fine. Be flat. Mm. Oh, my God. <sighs> oh, my God. <laughs> All right, moving on. Mm-hmm. Next story is <laughs> A Fate Worse Than Death. Script wrote about Mark Miller, art wrote about Brian Williamson, letter about Pat Prentice. Fate, like F-E-T-E, like a party, word I mostly know from Final Fantasy XII. Um, 
In this case, it's the annual bloodletting festival where all the science fiction psychopunks go to have fun killing each other. The big game is called Mame for a Laugh, which seems to be a die-based version of strip poker, but you bet limbs. Uh, Yeah, uh, this is not good. (laughs) One dude seems to win as he cuts off the head of a guy who's had all his other limbs cut off as well, but his head's still alive, taunting him. Ahead of his competition. So the dude just cuts the head in half, and the moral of the story is always quit when you're ahead. Oh, bam, bam, bam. Fox, I I invented a new... I I went on a small quest and found a new air horn to respond to this story with. Is it womp, womp, womp? It goes, boo, boo, boo. Good. I don't like it. Terrible. It's, uh, it's not good. Get out of here. The previous one I liked. Listen, it was cute. Listen, you're on thin ice with that B-flat joke, Fox. All right, that's what I'm saying. <laughs> <laughs> listen, I, I tried, which is more than what we could say for this future shot. Mm, speaking of which, Fox, I want to know, I want you to try to tell me what your top and bottom stories are for this episode. Try. Yeah. And try. succeed. I, I, I mean, no, it's very easy. Top button, man. Uh, fucking bottom cola commandos. <laughs> I like. Look, I'd love to say special mention anything else, but Judge Shred was the only other one than ABC Warriors. ABC Warriors is good. Love me that Joe Pineapples, yes, Queen. Um, but not enough of new Joe Pineapples. I'm excited for more. Mm-hmm. Right. And that's literally the best thing that I can say about the rest of the comic because I don't give a fuck about the rest. <laughs> Like, Button Man continues to be all of the praise we've heaped on it, and Cola Commandos is all of the exactly what I said while you were trying to describe it, and I was very upset about what I read. <laughs> so, Conrad, please tell me why you agree with me. I mean, yeah, no, I got, I mean, for the reasons stated, I gotta, um, I gotta, I, I gotta go with it, man. Uh, Button Man top, Cola <laughs> Commandos bottom, I don't know. I, it's hard to say otherwise. I don't otherwise. feel like saying... St- I don't even feel like we can say solidarity this month because it's obvious. <laughs> I mean, I, I I will say an important thing to know is that this episode and then for the next three more or so episodes, um, mm. Judge Dredd is going to be off the table for top and bottom nominations. Yeah. And that's yeah, just because course. we're going to do a crossover episode. So I'm going to so we're going to be reading those separately. Um, it's in its special category. It's so good that we had to put it in another podcast. Yeah, so I just want to—I I just want to make it clear that you know when we're talking about this stuff, just because. Like, I, I'd also like not to choose between Button Man and Judge Shred because that would actually make my life hard. Yeah, and just you know, so it's a whole thing. But yeah, so just just just, just FY to the I, um, whatever, because we're talking about Judgment Day in a different, in a slightly different timeline. So whatever. Yeah. Clash of Worlds. All right. Listen, join us next time as we cross over and also continue loving Button Man. Hey, we're mid-crossover. It's very exciting. Anyway, I hope everybody enjoyed the show. As always, you can find Space Spinner 2000 on iTunes, Stitch, the Google Play Store, Spotify, or our podcast site at spacespinner2000.com. Feel free to contact us at spacespinner2000 at gmail.com with 2080 forums or on our Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter pages on Twitter. We're at Space Spinner 2K. For everything else, look up Space Spinner 2000. We should be there. And if you're on those, if, if you're on any of those things and want to leave us a rating or a review, we'd appreciate it. Or just if anybody's asking for a new podcast, point them our way. 
Hey man, listen, we just released that new listener episode. Why not point him to that or tell him the button man is good and then show them that and have them listen to us talk about how much we like it. Case file collections. Also, the show is brought to oh, you yeah. by Steve Green, Robert Hardinghan, Zam Kip Miller and your friends, the 2080 forums. If you'd like to join them and help support the show, we'd appreciate it. Please check out our Patreon at patreon.com slash That's our podcast network. There, you can support the show and receive a ton of excellent rewards, including advanced episodes, coverage of modern 2000 AD in the magazine, and even monthly Q&As with Fox and myself. They're not too bad. We're, uh, we cut loose. Talk about how I defeated Graveyard Keeper. Listen, if you defeated. want, if you like the asides that come in this show and make it a little bit longer, then you're going to love our Q&A episodes, which are basically oops all asides. It's pretty solid. <laughs> I promise more C-sharp and D-flat jokes and uh, some Dave Gribble, as long as Conrad keeps it in the edit. This podcast is over. But seriously, come back next time <laughs> as Judgment Day rolls on. We'll reach the climaxes of several of our current thrills and begin phase four of Zenith. Oh, ooh, ooh, I like that. I like Santa. That's exciting. He's an asshole. Oh, yeah. Until then, I'm Conrad Eastbox, and we are Space Fair 2000. Blood Man is good! good.